1: Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, The Siege of Chateau-Gaillard, Part 3 of 4. In the mid-12th century, King Henry II of England rose from being the Count of the small French province of Anjou to become the leader of a large collection of lands, which historians give the name the Angevin Empire. Not only was he in possession of England, Normandy, Anjou, Aquitaine, Poitou, Brittany and Ireland, but he also enjoyed great personal influence in the neighbouring territories of Scotland, Wales and Flanders. As Henry grew older, the key question became who would inherit his lands. His intention was that his core territories, that is England, Normandy and Anjou, were to be passed on to his eldest son, also named Henry. He is referred to as Henry the Young King, because he was crowned king while his father was still alive in August 1172. However, despite his coronation, young Henry was denied by his father the real fruits of kingship. Although invested with titles, he was never allowed to keep the revenues of his lands and he was heavily in debt on account of the expenses incurred by his lavish, courtly lifestyle, without the means to pay for it. Henry the Second chose to keep real power in his own hands, but his sons were impatient. King Louis the Seventh of France skilfully played on the young King Henry's wounded pride and invited him to Paris. There, Louis and Henry persuaded the Counts of Flanders, Boulogne and Blois to join them in revolt against Henry II, with promises of land and thousands of pounds in return. Eleanor of Aquitaine, the wife of Henry II, for reasons which are not entirely clear, also joined in the conspiracy. Not only this, but she also encouraged two of her other sons, Richard, later known as the Lionheart, and Geoffrey to join the rebellion against their father. The only son of Henry's who did not rebel was his youngest, John. King Henry II had a major rebellion on his hands, but had a stroke of luck early on. His agents in France captured and imprisoned his wife, who had tried to disguise herself in male clothing. The revolt lasted 18 months and is sometimes referred to as the Great War because it involved several regional leaders of France as well as the Plantagenets. The arrogant and foolish teenager Henry showed how limited his understanding of kingship really was by allowing himself to be treated as a puppet for Louis VII and those allies who wished to erode Plantagenet power wherever they could Henry II acted decisively, moving at pace around his territories and deploying his faithful mercenaries to break resistance. The first half of the war was based in England, where Henry faced rebellions from local barons and an invasion from Scotland. Having defeated these, Henry led an army of mercenaries and Welsh allies to Normandy to relieve the city of Rouen, which was being besieged by young Henry. The French soon dropped their siege, and shortly afterwards Louis Seventh sued for peace. Henry II was able to be magnanimous in victory, allowing everyone who had rebelled to attain their lands and possessions in the same state as before the rebellion had begun. He then sent Richard and Geoffrey off to Poitou, and Brittany to put down revolts that they themselves had stirred up. The peace thus gained showed Henry at his most astute, allowing him to secure his position of dominance in France and the British Isles. He was less interested in revenge than in restoring a regular government to his lands. The next decade, the 1180s would see the passing on to the next generation in both England and France. Louis' son, Philip II, took over the French crown at the age of 15 in 1180 when his father died. The year before, Philip had nearly died while on a hunting expedition, but fortunately for the Capetians had pulled through. It would not have been at all clear who would have succeeded Louis if Philip had not survived. From the beginning, despite Philip's young age, he demonstrated great personal authority. He refused to be tied in too closely with his mother's family, the House of Champagne. Instead he turned to Philip of Alsace, Count of Flanders, but over time proved himself independent from any influence that tried to control him. That said, in his first years Philip had no choice but to tread carefully with the most powerful magnates. His royal domain was surrounded by Plantagenets to the west and south, Flanders to the north and Champagne and Blois to the west, east and south. The Plantagenets held territory only 60 kilometres from Paris, while Champagne was only 30 kilometres away. In the first years of Philip's reign, he enjoyed surprisingly good relations with King Henry II. The vassal who caused him most problems was Philip of Alsace, who believed he was able to manipulate the young French king for his own benefit. Philip of Alsace was arguably the greatest ever Count of Flanders. He did much to develop his county, encouraging the growth of towns and trade, draining the maritime plain and founding the port of Dam in 1180. He was also an important political figure of the time. Between 1180 and 1185, minor hostilities repeatedly broke out between Philip II and Philip of Alsace, but were generally prevented from breaking out into full-scale war by the calming influence of Henry II. In 1185, however, the long-simmering warfare came to a head. Philip II besieged Philip of Alsace in a castle named Bolve, with some two thousand knights and fourteen thousand men at arms. The Count pleaded for assistance from either Henry the Second or the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa, who was his overlord, as well as was Philip the Second. But both were too preoccupied with their own problems, so Philip of Alsace was forced to humbly seek pardon before the king. His grand ambitions had been trimmed, Indeed, by antagonising too many of his fellow nobles, in the long run he did more damage than good to the prospects of Flanders. His defeat at the hands of King Philip proved to be the beginning of his county's decline as an independent realm, and its gradual absorption into the sphere of influence of the kings in Paris. King Henry of England would certainly have wished to intervene, in part because he seemed to enjoy the role of peacekeeper, but also because his preference was to maintain a balance of power in France, and so prevent any ruler becoming too powerful. However, he was being kept busy by a second major rebellion by his sons. In 1182, concerned about the growing restlessness of his offspring, he convened a meeting he attempted to placate Henry the young king by demanding that Richard and Geoffrey pay homage as dukes respectively of Aquitaine and Brittany to their elder brother. Richard, however, refused. He insisted that as Duke of Aquitaine, he owed homage to the King of France, not the King of England. What's more, he was fed up with the young king's recent attempts to get in contact with the barons of Aquitaine and stir up tension and rebellion there which Richard had been having to work hard to keep in check. The feud broke out into open conflict, and Richard was forced to defend his territory from the young king's blatant attempts to raise the nobles of Aquitaine in revolt. The conflict was resolved only on the death of Henry of Dysentery in June 1183. Though grief-stricken, King Henry II must have hoped that his eldest son's death would help resolve the disagreements between his sons. To this end, he brought together his family to put forward new proposals for their inheritance. To Richard, he suggested taking up his late brother's inheritance of England, Normandy and Anjou, and to allow John to take over Aquitaine but Richard not only adamantly refused to give up Aquitaine, but rejected an alternative proposal to promote Geoffrey to England, Normandy and Anjou. Tensions remained and no resolution was found for the next three years until fate intervened again. Geoffrey struck up a close friendship with Philip II, anticipating that he might one day need the French king's military assistance against his own family but in Paris in July 1186 he was badly injured in a jousting tournament and died from his injuries. Despite the personal tragedy, this event should perhaps have had the benefit of clarifying the question of the Angevin inheritance, but Henry still refused to make Richard openly his sole heir, and instead prevaricated. In this same period, relations between the Capetian and Plantagenet crowns called dramatically. Philip's elder half-sister Alice had now been kept at Henry's court for the best part of 25 years with the promise of marrying Richard and with the key border region of Vexin as dowry. But a marriage had never been formalised and Philip now lost his patience and several border clashes broke out. It was at this moment when news arrived of a military disaster in the Holy Land, at the Battle of Hattin, in July 1187. Philip attempted to strike up friendship with Richard, partly to stoke up hostilities between Richard and his father, and partly to discuss a joint venture to recapture Jerusalem. Before Richard could consider taking an extended trip away in the east, he felt he needed to resolve the question of inheritance – and so had to force the issue. In 1189, Philip and Richard together launched a surprise attack on Henry II's territories in France. On June twelfth, they moved on Henry's French base in Le Mans. The town was unprepared for attack, and as an emergency measure, the town's defenders set fire to the suburbs to try and stall the attackers but instead a strong wind blew up and pushed the flames back towards the town proper, and soon the whole of Le Mans was ablaze. Henry II retreated, exhausted from both constant fighting and old age, and heartbroken at his son's repeated attempts to oppose him. In his last days he finally agreed to confirm Richard as his sole heir in all lands on both sides of the English Channel he sent for a list of all his supporters who had betrayed him. The first name on the list was that of the one son who he believed had stayed loyal, John. The grief and shock was too much to bear, and Henry died soon after, on the 6th of July, 1189. By the time of Henry's death, two years had passed since the disaster at the Horns of Hattin. Richard faced little opposition to his inheriting all the lands of his father, but he still needed some time to settle affairs at home before he could make an extended trip away. He was crowned King of England on the 13th of September 1189, now at the age of 32, a tall, elegant man with reddish blonde hair. Immediately he got to work on organising the provisions and supplies for the Third Crusade, which would prove to be an enormous undertaking. At Christmas 1189, Richard met with Philip II and worked out a mutual defence pact. The two kings, while they were away on crusade, swore not to attack one another's lands, to act in good faith towards one another. Mutual suspicion remained, but both were committed to their religious duty of rescuing the Holy Land. I described the Third Crusade in an earlier podcast. The army of the Crusader States had been annihilated by the forces of Saladin at the Battle of Hattin, leaving the Crusader States wide open to Muslim attack. Within a space of a few months, almost all crusader towns and fortifications had fallen, the major exception being the port city of Tyre. Tyre was able to be used as a base for the westerners to regroup and make an audacious siege of the vital port of Acre. The siege had already been going on for nearly two long, arduous years, when Richard and Philip finally arrived, separately in the summer of 1191 the Muslim garrison was already in a desperate situation and could not resist the attack much longer. The two kings at the head of the combined crusader army soon breached the city walls and provided a massive boost to the crusader kingdoms, which beforehand had been in danger of being extinguished entirely.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
1: Once Acre had been taken, King Philip announced that he was returning to France. There was still much more to be done to make the Third Crusade a true success, in particular the recapture of Jerusalem, but Philip had important matters to attend to back home. Philip of Alsace, Count of Flanders, who had fought King Philip a few years back but had been forced to back down, had died in the last few days of the Siege of Acre. He had no heir, so settling his inheritance was an urgent matter. Philip II urgently desired to press his claims for the rich and strategically important county of Flanders. In the end, he was able to gain control of the border regions of Artois, Amenois, Vermandois, and much of Beauvais, which he could not have achieved by remaining in the east and neglecting home affairs. Also, several other high-ranking Naples had also died in the Crusade, leaving vacuums of power that Philip was eager to exploit. Richard decided to continue his work in the East. Without his leadership, the Third Crusade would have been very unlikely to achieve anything more. With him, the Crusader army succeeded in reoccupying much of the Levantine coastline. He demonstrated such bravery and such great military skills that he earned himself the nickname of the Lionheart, although he did not achieve his ultimate goal, the reconquest of the holy city of Jerusalem. Richard was not able to spend enough time in the East to secure this objective, since he was suspicious, with good reason, that Philip was taking advantage of his absence to undermine his position so the Lionheart decided to return in September 1192, a year after arriving in the east. Richard had treated his younger brother, John, more generously than he needed to on becoming king. John was granted several important and profitable castles and fiefs, including Gloucester and Lancaster. But John was ambitious and was receptive to the scheming of King Philip. The French king offered him his sister, Alice, as his wife, and the dominions that Richard held under the French crown. John was about to accept and take ship from Southampton to France when his mother arrived home and ordered him not to accept the deal. Richard needed to get back to his lands as quickly as possible, but on his way back from the Crusade was captured and fell into the hands of a personal enemy, Duke Leopold of Austria whom he had personally insulted at the Siege of Acre. The Duke handed him over for a substantial payment to the German Emperor, Henry VI. Henry VI was no friend of Richard, since he was, at the time, facing rebellion at home in Germany from Henry the Lion, the Duke of Bavaria who was allied to the Angevins through his marriage to Richard's sister. King Philip was delighted at the news of Richard's kidnapping. He was an ally of Henry VI and his Hohenstaufen dynasty, and hoped to buy Richard from the Emperor and release him only on the condition of the total breakup of the Angevin Empire. Philip gathered mercenaries and Danish help for an invasion of Richard's lands, and again started scheming with John. John hurried to Paris and paid homage to. Philip, in the expectation of his brother being deprived of his continental possessions, and agreed to set aside his own wife and marry Philip's sister. Returning to England, he sent word privately to the Scots and Welsh, inviting them to join in the rebellion. In the end, though, John could muster very little support, and had to again back down. The nobles of England gathered the huge sum demanded by Henry VI for Richard's ransom. The Emperor actually had no wish to see the Angevin Dominions break up. Indeed, during Richard's imprisonment, his relations with the Emperor had grown surprisingly cordial. As part of the ransom deal, Richard did homage to Henry VI and made England a fief of the Empire. After being away from his lands for nearly four years, the last thirteen months as a captive, Richard could at last return home. But he had no time to rest as he had plenty of work to do to reassert his authority over his lands. Philip II of France had grown strong while Richard had been away. The acquisition of Artois following the death of the Count of Flanders significantly increased Philip's wealth and power, and its strategic location also provided him with a way to apply pressure to the Duchy of Normandy. Thanks to John's connivance with the French king during Richard's captivity, Philip had not only overran the key border region of Vexin, but also took control of large swathes of western Normandy. This, along with his new territories in Flanders, allowed the Capetians for the first time to threaten the English coast by sea. The most serious loss for Richard was the superbly fortified castle of Gisor in the Vexin, which occupied a vital strategic position between Paris and the Norman capital city of Rouen. It would have been natural for Richard to consider John his lifelong enemy after his treachery but somehow he found it in his heart to forgive his younger brother, probably persuaded by his mother. John started helping Richard by going to the city of Evreux, which Philip had earlier captured and handed over to John's safekeeping. John entered under the ruse of pretending to still be loyal to King Philip II, but once inside proclaimed himself for Richard and killed the unfortunate garrison. It was the sort of underhand conduct that won battles but lost wars, for how could a man who so easily uses deceit ever be trusted? Among the nobility on both sides of the Channel, but in France in particular, John earned much resentment and distrust. King Richard was well aware that his contest with Philip would be a fierce and dangerous war. The decades of careful diplomacy from each side was now replaced by open aggression. Determined to resist Philip's designs on contested Angevin lands, such as the Vexin and Berry, Richard poured all his military expertise and resources into a war against the French King. He renewed alliances with several French nobles, helped by paying large sums of money, and also cooperated with King Sancho VI of Navarre in Spain, who raided Philip's lands from the south. He also sided with his nephew Otto, the son of Henry the Lion, who is in dispute with the Hohenstaufen family over the imperial throne of Germany. We shall hear more about Otto, the future Emperor Otto IV, in the following podcast on the Battle of Bouvain. Richard not only displayed great diplomatic astuteness, but also the same military skills demonstrated on the Third Crusade. He put together an army of knights doing feudal service, Welsh and other mercenaries, plus units of crossbowmen and archers. Philip likewise deployed huge resources, and a series of sieges broke out across France. It was Richard who won the first engagements of the war, Already in eleven ninety four, just after Richard's return to France, he forced Philip to flee, leaving his entire archive of financial audits and documents to be captured by Richard. Then, in the winter of eleven ninety five to ninety six, the Lionheart managed to sack the vital port of Dieppe which was owned by an ally of Philip's, and also prevented Philip's attempts to lay a siege in the strategic region of Berry to the south of Paris. Philip was forced to the negotiating table, and agreed to abandon all claims to plantagenet territory, except for that of the Vexin, and the clutch of other particularly sensitive border castles. Although he had been forced to abandon his plans to break up the entire Angevin Empire, it was clear that Philip still had his eyes on Normandy. The war continued with the border area between Normandy and the royal Domain in dispute. The fall of the castle of Gisor to the French had opened a gap in the Norman defences, so Richard began the search for a fresh site for a new castle to defend the duchy and act as a base to launch a campaign to take back the Vexin from the French. He decided upon an area perched high above the River Seine by the town of Les Andelys, and drew up plans to build new fortifications there that would be known as Chateau Gaillard. When constructed, Chateau-Gaillard was a huge, round castle, and included a river, port, system of bridges and luxurious royal quarters, where Richard could hold court. Considering its size and sophistication, it took a surprisingly short time to build, between two and three years, but at the cost of more than twice the annual revenue of Normandy. It formed one end of a line of castles that acted as both defence and and communication and ran from the new military base at Portsmouth through Rouen up to Les Anderis. Events went further in favour of Richard when the German Emperor Henry VI unexpectedly died and Richard's ally and nephew Otto was elected to the imperial throne. The now Emperor Otto IV had been brought up in the plantagenet court and could be counted on for his support. Noblemen all across France judged now that the Plantagenet cause was once more in the ascendancy. In January 1199, Philip and Richard met to try and agree a long-term truce, mediated by a papal legate. But it was clear during the bad-tempered discussions that Richard was still furious at the papacy for abandoning him during his imprisonment and for sitting by while Philip threatened his lands. Philip agreed to return every single possession he had taken except for the castle at Gisors, which he hoped to secure by marriage alliance. Negotiations were still dragging on at the end of March, when Richard made the fateful decision to lead a company of men to put down a small rebellion in the south, at a small castle called Shalu chabrol This castle had barely forty men and women inside, of whom just two were trained knights. Richard no doubt considered that a short siege would be enough to break the defenders' resistance. For three days Richard's forces laid siege to the castle, and undermining its walls with tunnels. Then at dusk on the evening of the 26th of March, Richard left his tent to inspect the situation. The battlements were all but deserted except for one soldier with a crossbow in one hand and a frying-pan from the castle's kitchen in the other, as a makeshift shield. The lone soldier sent a single, hopeful arrow in the direction of Richard's party, and by chance happened to strike the king in his left shoulder. Richard would have been in great pain and called for the surgeon. In the fading light of the evening the bolt was removed with difficulty, but soon the wound festered and gangrene set in. Ten days later the great warrior king passed away, an event which would prove to have great importance for the fate of the kingdoms of England and France. Philip II must have given up hope of his dreams of breaking up the Angevin Empire and asserting his Capetian dynasty's authority over the whole of France. But suddenly everything once more changed, Richard's successor and younger brother John was no lionheart, and despite the recent military gains by his brother, still inherited a difficult situation, and faced a king of France determined to exploit any weakness of his Angevin rivals. On hearing of Richard's death, the Archbishop of Rouen lamented, quote, "What hope remains to us now? There is none. For after him, I can see nobody to defend the kingdom." The French will overrun us and there will be no one to resist them." Next week is the story of the fight for control for the brand new Chateau Gaillard between John and Philip. After the spending of so much money on this strategic castle by Richard, it was vital for John to hold on to it and keep hold of this strategic location. Every week it seems like an interesting new history podcast comes out on all kinds of subjects, places and times. One such podcast is the History of Islam, which in a similar pattern to the classic Mike Duncan's History of Rome, its host Elias Balhadad is going to tell the story of Islam, beginning with pre-Islamic Arabia. It's early days, so just started but worth checking out if you'd like to know more about the subject. It would be great to to hear from you, some suggestions or comments. You can contact me on Facebook or the blog at www.historyeurope.net or write to me directly, carl at historyeurope.net Perhaps you can tell me where you come from, within Europe somewhere, or from outside. Maybe tell me if you'd like uh, to know a bit more about a particular time or or place. So, I hope you can join me again next week for the final part of the Siege of Chateau Gaillard from 1203 to 1204. Until then, thanks for listening, and goodbye.